good. Did that make anybody jump besides me? All right. Well, good morning again. We're moving forward in our um, series membership that matters. But before we dive into uh, the scriptures, we just have a few announcements. Tonight at 5 p.m. is our night of prayer. Uh, Join us as uh, we have our night of prayer, worship, and communion. We want to praise God for all that he's done and all that he's getting ready to do. There's child care uh, downstairs for ages uh, zero to three. And for more information, you can visit gocoastal.org slash events. September 9th at the Yorktown campus at 6.30 p.m., we will have our couples dinner. It's an opportunity to celebrate marriage with dinner, laughs, and prizes. You can take the night off. Um, and enjoy uh, your uh, night out with your spouse. Um, Childcare will be available uh, with pre-registration. The cost is $40 per couple. You can register at gocoastal.org slash events as well. Small group season begins September 11th. Uh, We believe small groups are vital to spiritual growth and building authentic relationships with Jesus and other believers. And so the next small group season, it begins September 11th. You can check out the available groups by picking up a Grow booklet or visiting our website at gocoastal.org slash smallgroups for more information. We also want to uh, remind you that Coastal uh, Hampton is having a picnic at the Hicks's house September 10th, that's Saturday, from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Um, it's a great opportunity to fellowship and get to know fellow members of this church. Feel free to reach out to the Hicks, and you can also email Elise Hicks at elise.hicks at gocoastal.org. So we've been covering the membership that matters series for the last couple of weeks. And so we want to go further in um, covering a member that follows, member that follows. You know, I'm I'm, I'm mind blown that Coastal Church Hampton is almost a year old. Uh, God has blessed and is continuing to bless this church, this campus as we grow. Um, We're launching new small groups. We're launching new ministries. Um, And this isn't the only campus that God is doing. It was one of several campuses watching God work in the lives of Coastal members all around the Hampton Roads. You know, when you come here at Coastal, you can experience great worship. You can experience wonderful community, a wonderful place, a wonderful ministry to serve. Just within this year, we've watched numerous persons grow in their faith through discipleship because here at Coastal, we believe in developing authentic followers of Jesus Christ. All of this, everything that has been said, all of everything that God has done through Coastal is a reflection of his relationship of the leadership or relationship with the leadership. All of this reflects the heart of the leadership of Coastal. God has blessed us with a wonderful senior pastor, a wonderful executive pastor, incredible campus and associate pastors, who love God and love you. The title pastor is just another name for shepherd. If you ever want to find out, get a small taste of what pastoral leadership entails, I encourage you to read Psalm 23. 
Because again, the word pastor is another name for shepherd. And so when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my pastor. There's a plethora of scriptures all throughout the Bible that give us an idea of what a pastor does. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. What does a pastor do and what does it look like for a member to follow the leader and serve the leader? And so my first point this morning, respect the leader. Respect the leader. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 12 through 13. Paul says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Pastors labor for their flock. A pastor leads, a pastor guides, a pastor walks with the sheep in their darkest seasons and celebrates with you in the days of triumph. First Thessalonians, again, 5.12, Paul says, We ask you, brothers, respect those who labor among you and are over you. He says, those that are over you. Many people hear these words over you and we suddenly get this wave of awkwardness and, you know, we, we get tense. But the words over you is not a word that degrades the member to exalt the pastor, but it's letting us know that the pastor, the leader, is up front. Paul says, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. The Lord calls the pastor to take the first hit. The pastor is responsible and has to answer to God for how he led the members. And the reason why that's so important is because there are churches all over, even in the Hampton Roads, that are filled with carnal Christians. There are churches filled with those who claim to be saved and don't know the gospel. There are churches filled with people that don't know how to live out the gospel all because they've never been taught. There are adults who were born and raised in the church and have never heard the gospel. And that's because, again, it was never taught. Unfortunately, however, there are pastors that will make four to eight week sermon series on financial wealth. There are pastors that will teach you how to dream bigger and spend weeks on how to step on the steps to becoming a better you. But the name of Jesus isn't mentioned. Even though he may be included, he's not the center. The gospel should be the center of everything that is preached and taught. That is the standard required for a pastor. Through the Holy Spirit, pastors are responsible for providing the tools for membership or members to grow spiritually. This is why James says, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. So God holds the pastor responsible for the flock. 
And this is what Paul is talking about when he uses the words over you because the pastor counsels the flock. He strives to make himself available and flexible to pour into those that they lead while striving to lead their homes well. Jesus talks about the responsibilities of a shepherd and the flexibility of a shepherd's time in Luke 15 verses 3 through 6. He talks about a parable about a shepherd who oversees a hundred sheep and one sheep goes astray. One sheep gets lost and that shepherd makes the time to go after that lost sheep. You know, it's been said that when sheep run off, the shepherd goes after it, he brings it back to the fold. Later on, that shepherd or that sheep will look out back in the field and it seems like the grass is greener on the other side again and that shepherd will go go back out, grab it, discipline. And for some reason, after several times that the shepherd has brought the sheep back, he still thinks the grass is greener on the other side, so he goes back out again. Goes back out again. The shepherd leaves the sheep fold, finds the sheep. But this time, when he finds the sheep, he grabs the sheep and he breaks the sheep's legs. The sheep is screaming, crying in agony. Why would you do this to me? This is the sheep. Why would you do this to me? Why would you treat me this way? This is the sheep in discipline. Why why, why do you have to be so harsh? And many of us would ask the same questions after hearing this. Why would the shepherd have to go that far to break the sheep's legs? However, we must remember that while the sheep are on all fours, minding their business, eating and being nourished, the shepherd stands tall above the sheep. He stands over the sheep. This is what Paul's talking about. And because he stands tall over the sheep, he can see outside the sheepfold. And so while the sheep ran off thinking that the grass was greener on the other side, the shepherd could see the wolves behind the bushes. The shepherd could see the predators behind the scenes, ready to devour the sheep in those vulnerable moments. And so the shepherd breaks the sheep's legs, not with the intention to bring harm and pain to the sheep, but to protect it from the harm far worse than broken legs. This is the challenges that pastors face when they have to discipline their flocks. No pastor looks forward to having to discipline the flock. But at times, sometimes the shepherd has to sit down with the sheep And he has to say, he has to say, I'm sorry, but after counseling you both, I don't believe you're ready for marriage. Sometimes the pastor has to say, you might need to take a break from serving in a certain ministry so you can get things right at home. Sometimes the pastor has to discipline the sheep. It's been said that after a few times, again, running off, the shepherd will break the sheep's leg and it seems harsh. But I'm so glad that the shepherd doesn't stop there. The shepherd does not leave the sheep where he is. The shepherd got itself, the sheep got itself in trouble 
but the shepherd never leaves it broken. The sheep keep, he can agitate the shepherd. He can agitate other sheep, but even after discipline, the shepherd never leaves the sheep broken. The sheep can even be upset with the shepherd for being so harsh, but yet the shepherd never leaves the sheep broken. After the shepherd breaks the sheep's legs, he mends the break and he places the sheep on his shoulders or holds the sheep in his arms. There are several pictures of Jesus as a shepherd. And we see him holding his staff. He's surrounded by all of these sheep. And there's always that one sheep that we see on his shoulders. There's always that one sheep in his arms. And many of us will look at that painting and ask the question, what makes that sheep so special? What, what, what did that sheep do to deserve a place in the arms of Jesus or on the shoulders of that shepherd? Why is that sheep the favorite? What we don't realize is that's not the favorite sheep. <laughs> that's the sheep that ran off. While we think that's the favorite sheep, that's the sheep that caused the most trouble. That was the sheep that lied and gossiped. That was the sheep that had to experience discipline. Some of us have those sheep because the pastor is not the only shepherd. If you're a husband, you shepherd your family. If you're a mother, you shepherd your children. If you are a school teacher, you shepherd the students in your classroom. And all of us may have that one sheep. Somebody said just one. Oh, God. <laughs> we understand what it's like to have that one sheep. But Jesus, as the shepherd, teaches us as pastors not to leave the sheep broken. But it's an opportunity to grow them in their walk with the Lord. This is the life of a pastor Monday through Saturday and sometimes even on Sunday. This, 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 this right here, this right here is a very, very small percentage of what a pastor does. Paul encourages us to respect the leader. My next point, esteem the leader. Esteem the leader. Philippians 2, 29. Paul says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. I'm going to stop right there. To esteem is to see someone in high regard. The pastor is a man whom God has chosen or God has called to shepherd his people. The pastor prays for us daily. He constantly, he's thinking of new ways to pour into the sheep, into the community. We esteem the leader because he's faithful. His faithfulness allows him to share the joys and pains of the sheep. He shares in the burdens of those suffering and grieving, but he also shares in joy of watching families grow. I know so many pastors that are really, really seasoned. They've been around a very long time, and they've lived long enough to dedicate two and three and some even four generations of babies. 
within one family. I've watched, I've seen pastors watch families grow. These pastors, they watch that transition after they dedicate the child from daycare to elementary to middle school to high school and then college. And when that child comes back with a potential spouse, that same pastor will then take them through marital counseling and then perform the wedding. Later on, that same pastor gets to see that child that he dedicated as a full adult walking down the aisle with his spouse to dedicate their child. Many pastors live to watch that child grow up and go through the same process until that child grows up and brings that child. I can speak from personal experience. God has blessed me to serve under a leader Years ago, my childhood pastor, 90 years old, and can remember when my father got saved. He can remember when my father brought my mom to church and he married them. He remembers when I was born. He remembers when he dedicated me. He watched me grow up. And now he's watching me raise a family. This is the joy of pastoring because of his faithfulness. He got to see two, three generations in one family. The beauty of pastor's faithfulness is how he can join in celebration and even the suffering of the flock. We should esteem the leader. We should esteem the leader because he esteems the flock. Again, Philippians chapter 2, 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such Men, this is from Philippians. The background behind the book of Philippians is quite mind-blowing, actually. The book of Philippians is a long letter written by Paul to a Roman colony known as Philippi. Okay, so Paul served as a missionary in Philippi. He planted several churches, and after those churches were planted, Paul moved on to serve the Lord elsewhere. And while he was serving the Lord elsewhere, he was thrown in prison. The word gets back to the church of Philippi that Paul, the founder, the apostle of those churches, has been thrown in prison. And so what their pastor does, Epaphroditus, he makes an 800-plus mile journey to visit Paul with a load of food, financial support, an update on how the church is doing, and a word of encouragement from the church. Did you know that Epaphroditus almost died of exhaustion, making that 800 plus mile journey. And I know many of us will say 800 miles, but that's because we have airplanes now. That's because we have cars. He didn't have that. 800 plus miles was a long way. And he almost died of exhaustion making this journey. And I believe that while he was suffering somewhere in his mind, I believe he thought, If I die, at least I died serving God's people. That's the heart of a pastor. that's, That's the heart of a pastor. Everything that was just shared is a display of love from a pastor to the flock. After Epaphroditus' journey, Paul tells the church of Philippi to honor him as a leader. And that's what he's saying. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. We should esteem the leader. My next point, follow the leader. Follow 
the leader. Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. How do we follow the leader? Following the leader requires obedience. This requires obedience. This word obedience is not a cultic allegiance. We don't believe in idol worship here at Coastal. We don't believe in making men equal with God. But this word Obedience is the willingness to follow God by following the man that God has set in place to lead his people. And so this means that when we obey the pastor, we're obeying God. If we disagree with the pastor and decide to show him how wrong he is by executing our own plans, that's called disobedience. That's called rebellion. Prime example are the Israelites. I believe one of the first pastors was Moses. God used Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, headed toward the promised land, the land that he promised their ancestors. But in order to get to the promised land, they had to go through the wilderness. And while they're going through the wilderness, they constantly complain. We don't have this. We don't have that. We're hungry. We're thirsty. Moses, you're not a good pastor. Where's our food? He calls, he goes to the Lord, he prays, and he tells the Lord the people are complaining, they're hungry. The Lord gives them food, and they tell the Lord, we're thirsty. Where's our drink? You give us food with no drink. Moses goes to the Lord, they're complaining, they're thirsty, please give them something to drink. The Lord gives them something to drink. They find something else to complain about. Eventually, God calls Moses to a mountain, and he doesn't return for a while. The people are upset again. They did not agree with the decisions that Moses made based on God's word. And out of that, they made an idol out of rebellion. They made an idol made of gold. Gold is a metal that allows you to see your reflection and the reflection of others. When they saw that calf and bowed down and worshiped, they could see themselves. I believe that that golden calf was a representation of their own self-worship. They, they were able to see and idolize their own desires. When we rebel against the leadership, especially when they're following the word of God, we are rebelling against God himself. If we disagree with the pastor and decide to show him our own plans, it's called disobedience, it's called rebellion. And there may be times when the leader, can y'all hear me? Did this go out? It's all right, we're going to make it work. All right, is that better? All right, if we disagree with the leader, it's called rebellion, it's called disobedience. And there may be times when the leader does something that makes no sense. It does not register. However, there may be times where the pastor will do things that we do understand. 
but we have to submit. We just disagree, but we have to submit. Which brings me to my next point. This also requires submission. This also requires submission. This is what the Hebrews didn't understand. They were not submitted to leadership. And so I would encourage you, because again, there are things, there are times where the pastor may make decisions that we do understand, we just disagree with it. Before we try to prove the leader wrong, I think we should ask ourselves the question about our leader's decision. Does the leader's decision hinder my growth as a Christian? Does the leader's decision hinder the gospel from going forth? Or is it simply that we just have two different styles of presentation? Is it really that deep that we think that the pastor, that we question the pastor's relationship with God? Or is it simply that we just have two different preferences on how we execute the vision? Is the pastor's decision heretical? Or do we have different preferences on how to serve? Being a leader is not an easy job. And so let's not walk in idolatry. The pastor needs our support. And so we must support the leader. My next point, pray for the leader. Pray for the leader. Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. There is no such thing as a perfect person, let alone a perfect pastor. Pastors face challenges like everyone else. In fact, because they are the pastor in the front of the line, he has the biggest target on his chest when it comes to spiritual warfare. Not only is the pastor a major target of spiritual warfare, but the devil seeks to destroy his family. People are looking nowadays for reasons to shut the church down. They're looking for reasons to hinder the gospel from going forth. And the first person that they target is the pastor. We must pray for the pastor because he stands at the front of the line and takes the first blow. My next point, imitate the leader. Imitate the leader. Again, Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. A pastor can't effectively preach God's word unless he studies it. How often are you studying God's word? That's how we imitate the pastor. Psalm 1, it tells us that God's word grows us like a tree planted by the rivers of water. It teaches us not to stand in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sit or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. It teaches us that we'll grow like a tree who brings forth fruit in its season. His leaves won't wither and whatever he does shall prosper. First Peter, it tells us that God's word purifies our hearts and gives us a fervent love for the brethren. 
The pastor should strive to live out these things. The pastor should strive to live out Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, Paul challenges us to put others above ourselves. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. A pastor is always looking for ways to grow the ministry, not for self-gain or notoriety, but for spiritual growth and development for those in the flock. The pastor puts the needs of the flock above his own desires. This is the heart of a pastor who respects and who honors and obeys and submits to and prays and imitates Christ. This is the lifestyle that the Bible challenges us to imitate. Paul says, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being, in the, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Imitating the life of Christ is hard because of our sin nature. Our flesh wars against the things of God because our flesh is wicked. But God is holy and righteous. God is the perfect pastor who made us in his image and made us in his likeness. But we became arrogant. And our arrogance led us to rebellion against God. We idolized our desires, placing them above God's law. Our rebellion brought sin into the world and separated us from a perfect God, putting us in the place to deserve nothing but his wrath. For the wages of sin is death. But thank God for his love. Instead of giving us what we deserve, he gave us the perfect and the sinless shepherd. He gave us the perfect pastor, a pastor that we could physically see and touch, a pastor whose glory we beheld, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth, a shepherd that we could, that could feel our infirmity and could feel our pain, a shepherd who wept with us at grave sites when our hearts were broken and rejoiced with us at wedding feast, a pastor who laughed with children and loved on widows, a pastor who perfectly lived out what he taught. He taught us how to love and forgive, but he loved and forgave. He taught us how to be obedient and submit, but he was obedient and submissive. He was a pastor who didn't just visit the sick, but by the time he walked out the room, everyone was healed. He was a pastor who not only prayed at funerals, but he would show up and call the dead out the grave. He would stop funeral processions and pull them out of caskets, and yet he remained humble. He never allowed his deity to make him arrogant. He never allowed his influence to make him look down on others. Paul says, though he was in the form of God, did not take equality with God to a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jesus is the ultimate example of a shepherd. He proclaims in John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
Jesus lived a sinless life for us. The only pastor who could live a life so sinless that he could face the wrath of the Father on our behalf. Paul says in Philippians 2.8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He took the penalty of the Father by dying on the cross for our sins. He was buried, but three days later, Jesus bodily rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. And that's why Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of the resurrection of Christ, death is defeated. And if our faith is in Christ, we are saved from the penalty of sin. Through Christ, as believers, we have the hope of eternal life. Christ was a servant. Christ was a pastor. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have the same mind of Christ. We should seek to imitate a Christ-centered pastor who imitates Christ. This is what Paul is talking about. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. When a pastor follows Christ, we can follow him. A pastor humbly serves the flock. So we should humbly serve one another. How can you serve within this ministry that you attend? We're always looking for volunteers in children's ministry and student ministries. We're looking for volunteers in production and music. We're looking for volunteers in first impressions and insecurity. How can you serve in your small group? That's how we imitate the leader who imitates Christ. I encourage you to get to know the leadership of this church. Get to know the culture of this church. Get to know the members of this church. We have a special event coming up on September 18th. We are coastal. We'll be held downstairs in the fellowship room immediately after service, September 18th. This is a class that provides the information of who Coastal is and how you can connect, grow, and serve. As we grow in our relationship with Christ, I'm getting ready to close. Let's continue to honor, obey, submit to, follow God by honoring the shepherd that he has placed in the flock. A godly pastor that imitates Christ is worth being followed. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For once again, you have done above all that we could ever ask or think. You've given us life, health, and strength. But we thank you that you've given us the greatest gift of all, your son, Jesus Christ, the perfect example of sinless living, the perfect example of what a leader is, a perfect example of what a shepherd and a pastor is. We thank you that you've given us pastors after your own heart here at Coastal. We pray for their strength. We pray for wisdom as they lead each campus and as they lead Coastal as a whole. We pray, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would give us the wisdom to follow, that you would give us the wisdom to obey and submit to their leadership as they follow you. And ultimately, Lord, we would all be imitators of Christ and that you would be glorified in everything that's said and done. I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for what you're doing and what you're getting ready to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we closed in worship.